the Stay in the Game podcast was brought to you on all major platforms using the magic of Buzzsprout. You can see our page at stayinthegamepodcast.buzzsprout.com. That's stayinthegamepodcast.buzzsprout.com. On that page, you'll also find all our social media links. But if you want to contact the show directly, our email is stayinthegamepodcast at gmail.com. Once more, that's Stay in the Game Podcast at gmail.com. Welcome to Stay in the Game with me, your host, Steve. I actually had another episode ready to post today, but in a last minute switcheroo, I decided to make this episode instead. I have a lot of things going on in my life right now, uh, a lot of moving parts, and it's been an especially tough week, so I thought I'd talk about all the ancillary things that come with PTSD and the trauma brain, and I also just wanted to say ancillary because it makes me sound smart. But uh, as always, any views and opinions expressed on the show belong to the person or persons expressing them, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the official policy or position of any other author, agency, organization, employer, or company. Let the games begin. If you're feeling broken down, if you're feeling like you'll never be the same, join me because I'm getting back up. I'm going to stay in the game. Happy Friday, or at least for me it is. And happy April 1st. I did manage to prank my kids this morning by telling them that all the COVID restrictions were back in place and they both needed to have a rapid test done before going to school and wear all their masks and do all that other stuff. And I actually convinced them that the new public health guidelines said we weren't swabbing far enough up their noses when we did the test. So the new guideline says we have to keep pushing the swab up there until it felt like the swab was tickling their brain. And I actually had them going for a few minutes until I asked them what the date was and then they kind of started cluing in. But it was a small uptick in an otherwise tough week. And it got me thinking about how much the little wins can really help ground you and offset what could potentially be big setbacks. In previous episodes, we've touched on some of the baggage that comes with PTSD and adjusting to how your brain reacts to things. No matter how well adjusted you are though, there are still going to be days where you feel like you belong in the funny farm. And that's kind of how it was for me this week. So I've been off work now for almost a year and intermingled with the operational stress, the PTSD, depression, anxiety, etc. There's an ongoing disciplinary proceeding against me at work and it's not something I want to get into. Um, but while I'm off, um, one of my conditions is I must participate in a virtual reporting uh, to the police service I work for. So every morning I get a Microsoft Teams call that has been deemed necessary um, where I answer it and literally show my face for mere seconds on video and then the call ends. Um, and I have to say that Part of my OSI stems from what was, in my opinion, um, mistreatment in the workplace. 
sanctuary trauma forms a large part of my struggle, so these calls can be tough. But I always put on a smile and exchange some niceties for the mere seconds that I'm on the call. Um, but my employer recently put out a press release stating that um, they're basically taking lots of additional measures to do everything they could to um, support their members and ensure their mental health, etc., etc. And I have to say that reading the story just kind of pushed me over the edge because I, I felt left out and I felt abandoned. And what that led to was the following day during my video call, um, I kind of unraveled. Um, you know, during the five to ten second, hi, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? call, it developed into uh, a 20 minute onslaught where I laid out some home truths and the ugly truth about uh, my struggles, the feelings of inadequacy, the suicidal thoughts, um, the fact that I felt there had been no meaningful contact from my employer while I was off, despite the fact that I'm stuck dealing with the condition that working for them has left me with. Um, like I said, it wasn't pretty, but I felt that it had to be said. I'm sure some of my colleagues believe that I sit at home twiddling my thumbs and collecting a paycheck, but a lot of them know I've, they have no idea or they don't like to think about the daily struggles that can go on um, when you're dealing with these issues. So that in turn led to me kind of being more open, uh, more open and honest on social media than I have been thus far when it comes to the way I've been treated and I have to say that it felt good to put it out there to be able to just drop that weight um, because it's a big part of the story that I don't generally talk about uh, and what's more the messages of support that come in also confirmed me like who's truly in my corner and who really has my back. <laughs> So all that also got me thinking about all the moving parts that have a daily effect on my symptoms. I have severe sleep apnea. Uh, my sleep study, which was a few years ago now, uh, showed that I stopped breathing for at least one time every minute. So at least once a minute, I just stop breathing, sometimes for upwards of 20 seconds at a time. Um, I was waking up with headaches, and after the study, it was clear that this was due to reduced oxygenation in my blood. Uh, also during the night my legs did not stop. I was running continuously under the sheets and it was just it always seemed like I was running from something. Uh, on speaking to the doctor afterwards I became aware that it's very common that PTSD and sleep apnea will go hand in hand. Uh, the nightmares, the constant adrenaline dumps, the fight, flight or freeze responses um, can all play into you know, the symptomology of both of these uh, issues. Um, so I'd be in a constant cycle of that behavior during the night. And so I'd wake up both mentally and physically drained. And a lot of time I couldn't place why. Now, my sleep apnea diagnosis came actually about two years before my PTSD diagnosis. But when I went for a review with the doctor at the sleep clinic after my PTSD diagnosis, he kind of had an aha moment where, for him, I almost expected it to be a, a surprise that this was going on, but instead it was kind of the missing piece that completed the puzzle for him. And he kind of said, yeah, you know what, it really explains the extent of your symptoms when you're dealing with the apnea. Um, so you know, even that little piece has presented challenges for me because 
now that I know that you know I have the sleep apnea, I have PTSD, and it's one of those chicken and egg scenarios that you know one can exacerbate the other. Can one possibly cause the other? Which came first? That's a whole big thing. Um, but uh, dealing with the apnea has presented a challenge in that for the last year my device has been under recall because the sound abatement foam that's in the sleep apnea device can degrade and release debris into the tube as well as causing off-gassing and the toxins that are released are actually carcinogenic so the choice that I was left with when they announced this almost a year ago were don't use the machine and go back to the crazy restless sleep or use it, have better sleeps, but risk getting cancer. So I did try going without it for a bit, but the results weren't really that good. So I consulted with my doctor and weighed the risks, and ultimately the low risk posed by the machine was more favorable um, to the daily and very real negative effects of not using it, because not getting that restful sleep would just hamper my ability to deal with um, my PTSD symptomology on a daily basis because I was more tired, I was more run down and just less able to manage my symptoms. So although the thing is that risk of you know, the cancer isn't zero, so it does add a little extra stress, but um, you know I, I do have confidence in my doctor, so we'll see how that pans out and hopefully before too long I'll have my uh, replacement machine. <laughs> So continuing to talk about other health issues, um, there are a lot of studies going on that look into whether PTSD can be linked to uh, higher instances of certain conditions or diseases. And despite there being a lot of data and a lot of trends, it's still very much up in the air with a lot of things. Um, everything seems to point to an unsurprising trend where things like high blood pressure, stomach ulcers, arthritis, late onset dementia, they can all seem to have increased risk when PTSD is present. I think it's important though to realize that these are the trends right now and it's a time now when we're really starting to make strides in recognizing the warning signs early, engaging in treatment and seeing better and better results in recovery. Um, the way I feel personally is almost like the PTSD is a war that's being waged inside me. My brain is constantly attacking, defending, analyzing, and my body is always reacting to whatever's going on upstairs. Um, working on the ability to quiet that cacophony, which I know is another fancy word, I'm on a roll today, but to, to quell that noise, it, it seems to me that it's almost like the stories of trench warfare. Uh, when you hear the story of you know, um, World War One, Christmas Day, nineteen fourteen, on the front lines, the German soldiers and the Allied forces lay down their weapons. They venture into no man's land, and you know, join together, exchange gifts, play soccer or football if you're from the old country, um, sing carols together, and they actually found commonality. You know, they literally went to the common ground and found their shared common ground. And looking at that further, everyone that was there was because of the ideals and the disagreements of a few people who happened to wield great influence. It's very rare that you'll find someone on that front line who is privy to 
all the decisions that are being made for that war and why they're being made, their soldiers, they are following orders, but they don't have any issue with the guy that's across from them. So in my head, it's almost like those people will the influence or the outside voices, the dissenters. The, their influence can sometimes cause my internal battles. Someone says or does something that causes me to go into conflict within myself. But if I can get better at recognizing that, if I can have my personal factions meet in no man's land and find their commonality, then they can join forces to silence the external influences rather than me fighting myself all the time. So those are the feelings that I get in terms of me managing to quiet my mind and actually figure out what I need to deal with and what I don't. So I would love in my lifetime to see these trends relating to other health conditions melt away because it would mean that we're reaching people before the long-term damage is done. We've made such great strides in modern medicine and the number of diseases that used to be death sentences but are now not only treatable but beatable is unreal. And that's that's where I want us to be with conditions like PTSD. Now, specific to policing, because that is my experience, um, the effects of PTSD are all too real, and we are still unfortunately receiving way too many reminders of that. A few years ago, the head coroner in Ontario, Canada, released a report stating that suicide among police officers was an epidemic in the province. And since then, there's been a lot of discussions, uh, and although change is being implemented, it is slow and it is inconsistent. There are still police services out there who view providing sufficient mental health support as a bargaining chip when it comes time to renew contracts, when in fact this is something that should have always been there and should have been provided to every employee. Changing the culture, ending the stigma and providing real tangible support is the only way to end this epidemic. I believe if the public knew just how terrible these issues were and how badly they were handled, then you know they would be in an uproar. Dollars and cents saved by police services in denying these supports will cost 10 times as much in the long run when your workforce is decimated and you're dealing with workplace injuries and a massive overtime bill. The most successful people in business are the ones who realize that you invest first and foremost in your employees. Be it Elon Musk, Richard Branson, you go to Microsoft or Google, they all place high value on their people and they treat them accordingly. And they see that reflected in their bottom line. Employees who feel valued do better work and are more loyal and they'll knock it out of the park for you every single time. Too many people in positions of power still don't realize that. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in, it, it's universally applicable. Now, on to the part of the show where we dial it back, grab your rubber ring, and we're going to go for a leisurely float down the lazy river in our minds. So that's right, it's good to be us. Corey Marks, tell them. It's good, it's good, it's good to be us. little corner of the universe. We're happy, wild, and hell 
Okay, so before I get into today's segment, I do need to talk about the Lazy River. And she'll likely kill me for this if she even listens to the podcast, but this story involves my mother. So, born in Scotland back in 19 <coughs> something or other, uh, and having a childhood where a lot of things that I got to take for granted weren't even an option for her, one of the things that escaped my mother was learning how to swim. Now, I just have to say my father also could not swim at a young age. But according to him, when he became a police officer, he turned up to the police college and in his first class, he was thrown in the pool and told, swim or drown. And again, according to him, he tells it that by the time his class was done and graduating a few weeks later, he was winning the swimming award for the strongest swimmer in the class. It's not that I don't believe him. It's that this is the same man that always told me that when he was a kid, he walked to school every day, rain, hail or shine, uphill both ways, blah, blah, blah. So... You know, take from that what you will, but uh, I digress. So my mother cannot swim. She therefore has a healthy fear slash respect of the water and has a minimum size of vessel she will set foot on. Paddle boats, canoes, kayaks, rowboats are not on her acceptable list. So back in 2010, I believe it was, uh, my daughter was less than a year old and we travelled down to Orlando to... Uh, meet my parents and my sisters and nephew for a vacation. So we all end up at a water park on one of the days and of course they have a lazy river. So after much coaxing, I convinced my mum to don a life jacket and venture into the lazy river with me. I told her that if she just lifted her feet off the bottom, the vest would carry her and the current would ever so gently sweep her down the river and it would be relaxing and zen and amazing and I'd be right there with her. So we got into the river and as most of you all know, the current in the Lazy River is not fast, but it is strong because you have a large volume of water, albeit slow moving, and it packs some power. So you shouldn't underestimate it. So we go into the middle and I hold her in place and I'm kind of holding her upright and just kind of trying to coax her to lift her feet so I can set her down and let the vest kind of find its level. And then I said to her, right, I'm going to let you go and you're going to float down the river. So as soon as I let go, we had about 0.7 of a second of peace, followed by about a solid 0.4 seconds of confusion and concern. And then we just went into full-on blind panic. So... By this time, I think we'd travelled about 20 yards downstream and she reached out for the side wall. And it's one of these like curved concrete poured you know, uh, slabs that's on the side. And she would not let go. There was nothing to grab onto, so she's digging her nails into this thing. And I can't remember, I think her nail might have started to you know, pop up and make her finger bleed. So the poor kid that's working the lazy river on the outside, he's standing by and he's like, do you want me to go get someone? So he's thinking about going to get a paramedic. So I'm just like, you know what, we're fine. But I was just past her by this point. So I managed to fight my way back against the curtain, grab her, manage to just calm her down, get her feet under her. And then with my support, I'm managing to kind of gradually walk her back that 20 yards against the current so we can get to the steps and we get her out. And uh, so now my mum is <coughs> years old and... I, I can't see her ever want to try it again, but I, I'm not going to give up hope. 
I do hope that at some point I'll manage to get her outside of her comfort zone to try something like that again. And who knows, maybe next time she might even enjoy it. But again, I digress. So back to the regularly scheduled programming that it is good to be us. And to somewhat tie into my story, the reason that it's good to be us is because of our awareness, our introspection, the self-awareness, the soul-searching we've done. And everything we learn to do in order to promote that healthy mind makes it easier for us to find our why. And for me, and I'll talk about it in a little bit, my why is I, I like helping people. You know, on that day, originally I thought I was going to foolishly help my mum get over some of her fear of the water and experience that. As soon as that wasn't a fact, I had to help her overcome the current to make sure she could safely get out of the river but the reason why I'm talking about the why is I was recently inspired by someone who I was introduced to uh, Mr. Kerry Lehman K-E-R-R-Y L-E-H-M-A-N-N you can find him on social media I think he's just started investing more time in TikTok where you can uh, find his uh, channel Kerry Lehman Coach all one word and after talking to Kerry the thing that I most found inspirational about him was first of all his belief that being a leader means you must first lead yourself you have to do the work you have to build yourself up you have to create your success and then from that position you can help others do the same um it's you know you're not standing on people's shoulders to lift yourself up you are you're pulling yourself up by your bootstraps almost, and then you're helping pull other people up with you. It's kind of the life equivalent of putting on your own max oxygen mask um, on the plane before you help someone else with theirs. But tied into that is the why. And without a why, it's really hard. You're never going to get to where you want to go because the why is everything. It's, it's your reason. So... Why can sometimes be trickier than you think? Because it needs the introspection. It needs some honesty. So things like money can never be your why. Money is always going to be the byproduct. And you can also say that everyone wants family happiness. You want security. You want good health. All of those things. But they tend to be the byproducts of why you're doing what you're doing. Um. So... With them being the things that come out of your why, the real question is, who are you and what do you need? What is your purpose? What is your why? And then you can start to figure out what you can do to give you what you need and to fulfill that. So the idea being that you get to do something that will make you feel whole. And when that happens, you'll have the opportunity to reap the benefits of all those byproducts. Finding your true purpose that is going to be different for everyone and although it can lead you in the same kind of direction you're never going to be in the same journey as someone else it's important to just tap into yourself and find that inspiration and for me I realized that I got into policing because I genuinely wanted to help people I wanted to make a positive difference in their lives and now there's a lot of areas where I'd have an opportunity to do that but I think one of my biggest influences growing up was my father, who was a police officer. And so it just always made sense to me that that's the direction I would want to go in. 
now when I think about the possibility of life beyond policing, which is something I was unhappy to face when I started this journey, what I find is that it's talking to people like Kerry that's helped me see that my skill set can still make those differences. My why can still be the same and I can still find that fulfillment. I may just need to pivot and change my perspective on it a little to allow myself to do it in a different manner. So today I'll leave you with a challenge. In the moments where you're still, in the moments where you find that peace and when you feel centered and you feel calm, just check in with yourself and ask yourself, what do I want? Who am I? And find your why. Then ask yourself if you're really doing what you need to do. Not what you want to do, but what you need to do. And if you're doing it the way you need to do it. Or if you're leaving some of your potential untapped. And don't listen to the naysayers either. I'll leave you with a thought today that when it comes to people who are dissenters, when it comes to people who tell you you can't do it or you shouldn't do it or you won't do it, don't kill them with kindness. I hear people say that all the time. Just kill them with kindness. I say screw that. Don't. Just ignore them and do your thing because you'll end up torturing them with your success. That wraps another episode of Stay in the Game. Thanks again for listening and please again reach out with any feedback you may have or any suggestions for a particular topic you might want covered on a future episode. Also, if you want to come on and have a chat with me on the show, just let me know. Go to stayinthegamepodcast.buzzsprout.com to find the links to the social media pages. You can reach out there or email directly at stayinthegamepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay in the game.